Good morning, Keystone. It's good to be back with you after a couple weeks out. Uh, thankful for Joel and Brandon who continued this series in Ephesians. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians 4 this morning, so if you have your Bibles, you can open up there. Uh, but to start out this morning, even as you're opening up there, I, I want to start uh, by having you answer a question, maybe interacting just with a neighbor for a moment, uh, to be able to answer this question. Uh, what's been one of your favorite events that you've attended in your life? So I'm thinking like a, maybe a sports game that you've been at that sticks out in your memory. Maybe it's a concert you went to. Uh, maybe it's a musical or play you've been at. Uh, a wedding you were at that just was amazing. So, any event at all that kind of sticks out in your mind if you've been to. Uh, and so for just a, a minute, I want you to turn to someone who's around you, uh, ideally someone who didn't come with you, whether beside you or in front of you, and, and respond to that question saying, here's the event that sticks out in my mind uh, that I went to in my life, and, and here's why it sticks out in my mind. So go ahead, you can answer that question, and then we'll get back together in a minute. All right, we'll, we'll come back together here. Uh, how, how many of you, how many of you was it uh, maybe a sports game that you've been at in your life? Okay, that's what sticks out. What about uh, a concert you've been to? Okay. Uh, that's about where it stops for me. I don't know what else. I, I think a player musical, but I think there's all sorts of probably other events you might be able to come up with that stick out in your mind. Uh, last week, or not last week, last year, uh, for my birthday, I got the chance to go down to a Philadelphia Eagles game. Uh, it was the, the second time in my life I've been to an Eagles game. I don't know that it's the, the best event that I've ever been at, but it's one of the more recent kind of big events that I've been at in my life. Uh, I, I went there solely to watch the game that was in ha- happening in front of me. Uh, contrary to maybe public opinion, I played no part at all whether the Eagles won or lost that game. Uh, Jalen Hurts had no idea I was there. He could not hear me cheering. I was there purely as a spectator to take in what was happening in front of me. Now compare that, that picture or analogy with another picture, that of having a gym membership and going to the gym. I, I, I had a gym membership for several months of my life, not super long, but several months of my life, uh, and, and it would have seemed really odd if I went to the gym simply to be a spectator, right? Like if I just went to sit and watch and observe, thought, man, check out that guy's form. He's really working out. What? On the elliptical again? I don't know about that. That would have seemed really odd. And and there's a good chance they might have kicked me out of the gym eventually, right? Because, Because you don't go to the gym to be a spectator. You go to the gym to be a active participant. To, to work out, to grow, to get in shape, whatever it is. 
Now, which of those analogies best describes the church in your mind? Is the church, do you think mainly about the church as an event that we attend on Sunday morning or as a people we're meant to belong with and grow together with? Do we think about church primarily in terms of what it has to offer to me or in terms of what I have to offer to other people within the church? Do, do we leave mainly evaluating the, the music and the message and how, or, or do we leave also evaluating what opportunities I had to be able to minister to other people as I was at church? Do, do we primarily gather together with the church to be a spectator in what is happening or to be a participant in what is happening. As we turn to look at Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, we, we find the church is not an event we attend, but a body, rather a body we are meant to grow together with. The, the church is not primarily an event we attend, but rather a body that we are meant to grow together with. The, the primary reason we gather together as a church is ultimately to worship God because he's called us together and saved us and so we gather together to worship him and grow in our love for him. But close behind that, a secondary reason of why we gather together with the church, whether on Sunday morning or any other time throughout the week, is to be able to love and serve one another. And, and in Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, Paul is especially hitting on that reason for why the church exists and why we belong together and gather together. As we get to chapter 4 in Ephesians, there's this turn in the book. It's a turn that we've talked about already, but, but now we reached it in our series on Ephesians. Where, where Paul goes from describing what God has done for us to now how we're called to live as a result. We saw some of this in chapters 1 through 3, but it was mainly Paul talking about, look at what God has done. And now he's saying, now, now here's how we live as a result. And we can see this even in Ephesians 4, 1, where Paul says, I, therefore a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. We might ask, well, what, what is that calling to which we've been called? What, what's Paul talking about there? Well, it's, it's everything he's described in chapters one through three. The, the stunning and incredible realities of who we are in Christ by faith and who we are together in Christ as a people, as a church. And, and now in Ephesians Four through six, Paul is saying, here's how we're meant to live out those realities right here and right now in our lives. And one of the things that we see, especially in Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, is that God's desire for us as Christians is that we would grow up, is that we would mature and grow more and more into Christ. And so we can look at one of the final verses of our text we're going to read this morning, Ephesians 4.15, where Paul says, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. That just as every single parent wants to see their children grow up and mature and not remain children, so also God as a good father wants to see us grow up into Christ. And as a good parent, he has a plan for how to bring that about, that our growth happens together in the context of the local church. 
We can see this if we just add verse 16 onto verse 15 that we just read. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. If we want to grow as Christians, if we want to mature in Christ, then the church is absolutely necessary for us. Or maybe another way to put that, and maybe to put it in a a negative aspect, the more individualistic our Christianity is, the less we will actually grow as Christians. The, the, The more our relationship with Jesus is just about me and Jesus, the less we will actually grow to be like Jesus. Because we need the church in order to grow together and mature together into Christ. And in this passage this morning, Paul's going to point out three ways God intends for us to grow together. That we grow together as we remain united together, as we minister together, and as we speak the truth to one another together. And so let's, let's read in Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16, and then look at those three things in our time together this morning. Let, let me pray for us before we read, though. Father, we believe that you are a good father who chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, and that you've chosen us so that we might be adopted as your children and might be holy and blameless in Christ. God, we we want to be people who are growing and maturing, who who are living into the, the purposes and plans you have for us in Christ. God, we believe that you are at work most often in just ordinary day-to-day means. One of those being the church. That as we gather, whether it be on Sunday mornings or any other time, we believe that you are at work. And so God, show us this morning again how you're at work in the church, how you want us to be a part of the church, how you want us to grow together as the church. Challenge us where we need to be challenged. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged, please. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who has ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, 
until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The first thing that we might look at there this morning together is as we look at verses 1 through 6 to see this, that we grow together by remaining united together. Unity is a really, really important thing for the church. Paul hits on it in almost every single one of his letters in some way, addressing divisions or addressing how the church should be united. Jesus prays for this the the night before he goes to the cross in John 17, and I believe it's a window into what he's praying for us even right now as he intercedes for us at God's right hand. Unity is a really, really big deal for the church. And we might ask, well, why? why? Why is unity hit on over and over and over again in the Bible and in Paul's letters? Why is it such a big deal for us as the church? There, there are lots of, I think, probably different answers we could give to that, but one of the big ones is simply this, because unity demonstrates the power of God in Christ. Unity is a beautiful reality that God creates through the gospel. It's not a reality we create, it's a reality God creates through the gospel when he brings us together in Christ. Joel hit on this two weeks ago uh, in preaching on the passage in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, right? The, the, the fact that God can bring together Jew and Gentile into one people, one body, and one family demonstrates his power and the value and worth of Christ. Or, or we might say today, the fact that God can bring together young and old Black and white, Democrat and Republican, Cowboys fans and Eagles fans, truck lovers and Prius lovers, and whatever other comparison you want into one people, one body, one family, demonstrates his power and the value and worth of Christ. We, we, we could just for a moment compare the, the gospel almost to gr- being like Gorilla Glue. Right? Well, gorilla glue is so powerful. You, you use it because it takes two different objects and bonds them together. And the, the power of gorilla glue is demonstrated by taking two different objects and uniting them together in one in some sense. The, the power of the gospel is put on displays in many ways. But one of the ways is by taking different separate people who have no business being together, who otherwise would not be together at all and uniting us together into one people, one body, and one family. Unity is this reality that God creates through the gospel. This is what Paul is again reminding us of in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, as he highlights all the ways God has worked to unite us as one. Right? We're, we have one spirit, one hope, we're one body, we have one Lord, one baptism, one faith, one Father, all these ways that God has brought us together. But but what we find in verses 2 through 3 then is this as well. Unity is a difficult reality that God calls us to maintain. 
Unity is a reality God creates, but it's a reality he calls us to maintain and to remain united together with people who might look different, think different, act different, speak different, is a really difficult thing at times. Just, just stop and think with me for a moment about this. Have you ever noticed that when you go on vacation with people for a week, by the end of the week, you're getting far more easily annoyed with them? Right? Like someone shuts the door a little bit too loud, and you're like, what is wrong with you? What, why is that? Because the longer we're around other people, the harder it is to be around them. And if that's true of our family and friends when we're on vacation, how much more is that true of us in the church in the midst of all life's challenges and difficulties? This is why Paul says we need to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity in the church is something we have to actively seek to continue to maintain And if we aren't seeking to maintain it, then it's likely that it starts to collapse and fall apart. It it, it might even just be compared in this way, compared to if you own a home or a property, you, you know that it requires a lot of hard work to maintain that property or home. There's always something going wrong as a homeowner, right? There's always something that needs repaired. There's always something that's breaking. And if you just throw up your hands and say, I don't care, then the home probably starts to fall apart. And the same is true of us as a church. If we just throw up our hands and say, I I don't care anymore, I'm so sick of trying to maintain unity with these people, then the unity starts to fall apart among us. And maintaining that unity is hard work. Being a part of the church is hard work. I, I, I don't know why but it seems like we can think of belonging to the church and being unified together with other people in the church as if it will just happen naturally and be really easy. That's not true. I think about when we do premarital counseling with a couple, one of the main things that we're trying to prepare them for is this, that staying married is really hard work. And the exact same thing is true of us as a church. Staying together as a church is hard work. Not dividing or bailing out will be hard work. This this is what Paul's, I think, pointing out to us in verse 2 in Ephesians 4. Being part of the church will expose our pride and force us to be humble as we've got to put other people's interests ahead of our own if we want to remain united together. Being part of the church will expose how harsh I can be when other people don't live up to my expectations and force us to be gentle if we want to remain together. Being part of the church will reveal how impatient we are when things don't go our way and force us to be patient with one another if we want to remain united together. Being part of the church will reveal how unloving we can be and force us to bear with one another and overlook each other's flaws and faults at times to remain together. Right? That verse almost sounds like what happens as you're a parent. That's exactly what's happening in the church as well. Do you remember what Brandon said last week? That, that to love other people in the church will involve suffering. Why? 
because you are hard to love and because I am hard to love. And yet as we suffer to love one another and remain united together, the glory of the church is displayed and also God is at work in us, refining us and helping us to grow to be more like Christ. Because if you look at verse 2 and see all those characteristics, you know, that describes Christ. And as we grow in those things, we are growing to be more like Christ. When being together with other people in the church is difficult and challenging, when it starts to expose our selfishness, when relationships get messy, when it's challenging to love someone else, we shouldn't cut and run. Rather, we should praise God because he's at work in us, making us more like Christ. And if we keep that goal in mind, we won't get so disillusioned or disillusioned so quickly with all the difficulties that are a part of being part of the church. And if being part of the church is easy and it never causes you any frustration and you never get upset or annoyed with other people or the church as a whole, can I, can I suggest maybe one of two things? First of all, maybe one, you just haven't been here long enough. Like if, if you think this is the best church ever, just give us time. Like we're going to let you down. We're, we're going to screw up. We're going to tick you off in some way because every single church will. Or if, if you've been here for a while and being part of the church is easy and it's never caused any frustration, it's not annoying, can I suggest maybe it's just that we haven't got close enough to each other. That, that we still just see church as something we attend rather than a body we're united together with and connected with. Because the more we get connected with one another and close to one another, the more difficult it becomes to remain united together. And yet the more that God is at work as we're challenged to remain united together, helping us to grow to be like Christ. So we grow together by remaining united together. And then Paul would go on and say, we grow together by ministering together. Because after talking about the, the unity of the church in verses 1 through 6, Paul goes on to talk about the diversity of the church, specifically in the diversity of the gifts that we have been given by God. Everyone in the church is gifted by Jesus. Paul says in verse 7, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. The, the grace he's speaking of there is not the grace that saves us, but rather the specific grace God has given to each one of us when he's gifted us. Maybe you can go back to chapter 3, what Brandon preached on last week, and remember Paul talking about the grace he's been given in being a minister to the Gentiles. That God gifted him in a specific way and called him in a specific way to be this minister to the Gentiles at the time. And, and in a similar way, every single one of us has been given some gift by Christ. Verses 8 through 10 are this short commentary on Psalm 68 as Paul applies it to Jesus. Talking about how Jesus descended in his incarnation and then ascended in victory over his enemies and is ruling right now. And as part of his victory and ascension, Paul says, he also now gives gifts to all his people. It's what we also see confirmed in Romans 12 and 1 Peter 4 and 1 Corinthians 12 that every single Christian, every single follower of Christ is given certain gifts by God to be used by him for the good of the church. 
We might ask, well, what qualifies as a spiritual gift? I think anytime we talk about spiritual gifts, we think, what qualifies as a spiritual gift for us? And I would just give kind of a broad answer to that and say any talent, skill, ability, or interest, any talent, skill, ability, or interest you have or I have that can be used for the good of the church. And then I think a second question sometimes is, well, how, how do I know what gift I have or what gifts I have? And I maybe just give two suggestions to that. The first is just self-evaluation, thinking about where has God made me unique in the sense of what interests has he given me? What, what passions has he given me? What, what skills has he given me? What, what, what are you good at? What do you naturally seem to enjoy? Or the second, just beyond self-evaluation, because I think sometimes self-evaluation doesn't work, would just be this, to serve, to just start serving. Because I, I, there is this tendency, I think, sometimes we sit back and we wait for God to reveal our gifts to us, when it, in reality, it's most often as we serve the church that God starts to reveal what he's gifted us at, and other people helping to then affirm us in those areas as well. But the whole point here is though that if you are a follower of Christ, He has given you a gift for the good of his body. Or another way to put that is, you are a gift given by Christ to the church. Richard Koken puts it this way. He says, we don't just have God's gifts. We are God's gifts to his church. So my church is not just there in order to bless me as though I am a shopper filling my basket in the supermarket. The opposite is true. We're all saved and given to our churches as gifts to bless others by serving them. We are not meant to be consumers, but contributors. Everyone in the church is called to participate in ministry. Every single person who's a follower of Christ is called to participate in ministry. Paul, in verse 11, Paul singles out a certain group of people in the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. He, he's pointing to those who would have a leading or teaching role in the church. The apostles and prophets being those, especially early on after Christ left to build up the church, and, and now the evangelists, shepherds, teachers, being those who continue to have gifts of leading or speaking for the sake of the church. He, he's pointing those people who have a leading and teaching role, not because they're more valuable and and not because they're the ones who are really doing the ministry. Rather, he's saying these leaders are the ones who are given to the church in order to equip the rest of the church for the work of ministry through their gifts in leading or being able to teach and speak. Do, Do you hear what he's saying there? This is really important. And, and, and you probably already heard this before. I think we have to be reminded of it over and over and over again. The church is not meant to be made up of some people who are doing ministry. The paid staff, the all-star volunteers who are here every single day or whatever it is. And then another group of people who come to sit, receive, and just watch. Rather, the church is called to be made up of everyone ministering together to one another, and that's how we ultimately grow together as a church. As we gather to hear God's word together, worship together, and minister to one another together. Here's my guess. My guess is that every single one of our ministries at Keystone 
would love to have more people serving in ministry. Kids men, I know, could use more Sunday school teachers to be able to teach our kids week in and week out. More volunteers who are willing to just be there with the kids, to spend time with them, to get to know their name. Subs who can step in when others can't be there on a regular basis. Youth ministry could use more Sunday school teachers who'd be willing to teach our students. Welcome ministry could use more people who'd be willing to be part of welcoming others in on Sunday morning. Care groups could use more care group shepherds so we can get more people plugged into care groups. I, and I, I would guess we could just go through every ministry here at Keystone. So we'd love to have more people serving in ministry. Yet, yet I think so often as we share the needs of ministry, we, we hear those and then we can be quick to jump to maybe one of two things. The first maybe is, oh, they're, they're just trying to guilt me into serving again. Or, or the second being, someone else will do that. And to the first of those, I was saying, no, no, we're not trying to guilt you into serving, or we shouldn't be. And if, if it comes across that way, I'm sorry, because that's not how it's meant. We, we present the needs of the church because we want what's good for the church, believing God wants to work through every single one of us to be able to have us grow more and more into Christ. And that God doesn't want to guilt us into serving, but rather serving is what he desires for every single one of us as we grow together. And then second of all, rather than simply having us respond and say, well, Someone else will do that. How often do we pause, step back, and simply ask, is that something that God might want me to do? The larger a church is, the easier it is for people to just come to church to receive rather than to minister. And if if you're doing that, I would want to say you're actually missing out. You're actually missing out on what God wants to do in and through you and in and through the rest of the church. If I can just push a little bit more, make a comparison here and just push some more on this. If someone is part of a sports team, if you belong to a sports team, you don't just go to games to watch the game. But if you're part of a team, you go in order to be a part of the game and to play in the game and be involved in the game. Like no, no one wants to be a part of a sports team just to ride the bench. Yet I wonder why is it that in the church, and maybe especially in the American church, there are so many who seem to be content to be at church and ride the bench, so to speak. I, let, let me give one suggestion to why that might be. And, and this is true for me as well, by the way. B- because we've mistakenly made Christian growth all about accumulating more knowledge and more information. That, that we believe the purpose of church is simply to make me smarter and give me more biblical information. And that I think that's all there really is to growing as a Christian. Now, Let me say two things about that. First of all, that's massively important. We do believe that part of growing as a Christian is growing in knowledge of God's word, and we're going to hit on that in a moment. But that's only part of it. And let me just say also with that, I'm guilty of this as well, where I think the more knowledge I have, the the more books I read, the more podcasts I listen to, that's how I grow as a Christian and forget, well, that's only just one part of it. When my son was young, when he was just an infant, he had a big head. Uh, he was in like the 95th percentile of dome size. We didn't 
we would not have looked at that. And if as he grew, just his head grew, said, man, look at how he's growing. No, he would have said, wait, what's wrong here? What's wrong here? Because we know that ultimately our heads are meant to grow along with proportion with everything else. Growing as a Christian is not simply about having big heads filled with knowledge, but that we act in accordance with that knowledge in obeying God and ministering to one another in the church and those outside the church. And so if we want to grow as a Christian, we should serve. If we want to grow as a Christian, we should serve. That we might serve formally in some role in the church in one of our ministries. Serving formally is challenging because it requires us to commit. It requires us to show up. It requires us to interact with other people. It forces us to care about other people and put their interests ahead of our own. Like serving in the church isn't glamorous and glorious. It's difficult. But God is at work in it and through it. If you're trying to figure out where to serve, let me just suggest two options. First of all, to just ask a pastor, hey, where can I serve at? And I I loved as a youth pastor when people came up to me and said, I want to be a part of the youth ministry. Just tell me where I can serve at. Or or, or you can go online and and we have uh, online under our serve with us tab, a volunteer tab that you can fill that out. It will be sent into the church and then we'll get you connected with, with a ministry you could serve in if you're not serving. And if you're someone already serving on a regular basis at Keystone, I just want to say thank you and God is at work in you and through you, even if you don't see that or feel that all the time. But, but then secondly, too, I just say with that, another way we think about this is how can we serve others informally, informally every time we gather? That, that, that we gather together and ask, who, who can I welcome this morning? Who might I be able to pray for this morning? Who might I be able to listen to who has some burden? Who might I be able to encourage? That we, that we shift the lens from coming on Sunday morning just in asking the question, what, what might I get out of this? To asking, God, how might you want me to use, how might you want to use me this morning? And that would be a great prayer for us just to pray as we come on Sunday mornings or any other time. God, show me how you want to use me this morning. Yes, feed me, speak to me, but also show me how you want to use me. We, we gather together to receive ministry from others, but also to be participants in ministry to others. And we see this especially combined in the last way we grow together that Paul highlights, that we grow together by speaking the truth together. Paul, Paul gives us a picture in verses 13 and 14 of what a growing and mature Christian looks like. And we find a mature Christian is growing and being rooted and shaped by God's word. Verse 13 points out that maturity in Christ means growing in knowing, believing, and living according to God's word. And then we get the opposite comparison in verse 14. It's of children who believe anything and so are carried about by every wind of doctrine, who are easily gullible and tricked by other people, and who aren't able to discern between what is true and what is a lie. See, see, a mark of maturity in Christ in our lives is being rooted and shaped by God's word more and more and more. Is our character marked by the truth of God's word? Is our hope rooted in the promises of God's word? Are our daily decisions that we make every single day being shaped in some way by the wisdom of God's word? 
might ask, well, how does that happen? How do we grow in that way? By being steeped in God's word and letting it seep into us. I think of the picture of how, how does water, how would this water turn into tea? But by taking a tea bag and having the water be steeped in the tea or the tea steeped in the water, and slowly the water starts to take on the characteristics of the tea and become more like it. In the same way, how do we become like Christ, who we're told is God's word in the flesh? By being steeped in God's word and taking it on or taking it within us, soaking it, believing it, living it, or knowing it and living according to it. And we, we might ask, though, what, what does that have to do with the church growing together to be more like Jesus? What does that have to do with us growing together? Paul tells us in verse 15, he says, we are to speak the truth in love so that we grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. This verse is not a warrant for us to use the truth as a club to beat each other over the head with. Rather, it's a responsibility placed on every single one of us to help each other be shaped and rooted in God's word. And in the church, there are, I think, two big ways we seek to do this. Again, both a formal and informal way. First of all, that we teach God's word as we gather together. We center our Sunday morning gathering around God's word. We sing God's word. We pray God's word. We teach God's word. And outside of Sunday mornings, pretty much every time we gather together, whether it's at a men's wing night in a small group, in a mentorship, on youth group on Sunday nights, there's some component of being drawn back into God's word together as we hear from it or discuss it or apply it or whatever. Why do we keep, why are we so sticklers about having God's word be part of every time we get together? Because we believe that as God's word is taught and preached, God is using it to help us grow to be more like Christ. A Christian who is disconnected from God's word will not be a growing Christian. He or she will more likely be a drifting Christian. But, but a, a Christian that is regularly being exposed to and shaped by God's word will likely be a Christian that is growing to be more like Christ. You can even just think, think of an analogy for this, and I'll tell you why I use this analogy in a moment. Why, why is it that I didn't have to mow my grass from the last two weeks in August and the first week in September. Like, I didn't have to touch my mower because it didn't rain. And so the grass wasn't growing at all. And yet, then when it rained for several days in a row, the first week in September, what happened? Man, everything got green and started growing. And all of a sudden, all right, I've got to mow again. Everything's growing. It's, it's interesting that God uses the picture of his word being like rain falling down on us. In Isaiah 55, 10 through 11, he says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that for which I purpose it and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Just as the rain causes the grass to grow, so also God's word causes us to grow. And so let me just for a moment speak to you. If you are someone who teaches God's word, maybe at Keystone in a kid's Sunday school class or a youth class or in your small group or at a Bible study or in any other context, 
God is at work in you and through you, helping other people to grow up to be like Christ. Man, I I know if you're a teacher, there are times you put the energy and effort in and you think, that fell flat. What happened there? You, You can trust that if you're seeking to speak God's word, be faithful to his word, he will use it. He will use it. Keep going. Don't give up in that ministry God's called you to. But then also to everyone, even if you don't teach formally, we're all called to speak God's word to one another in the context of relationships. We speak God's word to one another in the context of our relationships with one another. Being in community together with other people provides us with the opportunity to be able to speak God's word to each other. That, That doesn't mean we're just like quoting Bible verses left and right, although maybe that might be involved but it more so means our conversations are, are being shaped in some way by God's word. That, that may look like us gently pointing out to someone else where they're believing a lie and pointing them to the truth. That, that, that may look like confronting someone in some area where their life doesn't match up with the truth of the gospel and seeking to draw them back into it. That, that may look like encouraging someone by, rem, by reminding them of God's grace and love for them. That, that may look like Uh, simply as you pray for someone else, having scripture being what's shaping what you pray for them. Now, let me highlight two things with this before we wrap up this morning. The the first is this. The more shaped we are personally by God's word, the more effective we will be at speaking God's word to one another. If we are neglecting to gather together to to sit under teaching and preaching God's word or, or neglecting to spend time ourselves in God's word, we will not be equipped or effective at all in speaking the truth of God's word to one another. But the more we're seeped in God's word, the more it will then come out of us through his spirit. When when I was in high school, I could quote or reference dumb and dumber in the midst of any conversation I was having probably. Why? Because I watched dumb and dumber far too many times as a high schooler. Like, and so it's just kind of what seeped out of me as I'm having conversations with people. It's probably annoying. But as a, a Christian, we're, we're meant to be so seeped in God's word that it's what comes out of us in our interactions with each other. And that only happens as we spend time in it. And then we see God ultimately use his spirit through that. And then second, the, the better we know someone else, the better we will be able to speak the truth of God's word to that person. We need other people in the church who know us really well who know our doubts, who know our struggles, who know our temptations, who have, as we've said before, are up in our business. Because the more that other people are up in our business, the more they will know what truth we most need to hear. I I think this is part of the great value of care groups at Keystone, mentorships at Keystone, and probably other things too, but those are two that jump to mind. Because we form relationships and then are able to speak the truth in the context of those relationships. Now, let's close this morning by just looking back where we started in verse 15 through 16. The whole church is meant to grow together, growing to be more like Christ. Well, we might just ask, who makes that growth happen? Like, who's responsible for making that growth happen? We find in verse 16, Jesus is the one who ultimately makes that growth happen. He is the one who makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. That, that should be freeing to us. That, that as we gather together and seek to remain united together, we don't make the growth happen, but Christ does. As we seek to be the church and love one another and bear with one another, 
that as we serve in ministry and maybe many times feel like, man, is this worth it? Is God doing anything? We don't make the growth happen. Christ does. And as you're ministering, he is using you and he's working through you. Keep going. That, that as we seek to speak the truth to one another and our words feel so small or we think, why did I say that? The results are not in our hands. It's Christ who makes the growth happen. And we can go on speaking, trusting him to use us. Paul, Paul Tripp says this to us. He says, your life is much bigger than a good job, an understanding spouse, and non-delinquent kids. It's bigger than beautiful gardens, nice vacation, and fashionable clothes. In reality, you are part of something immense, something that began before you were born and will continue after you die. God is rescuing fallen humanity, transporting them into his kingdom, and progressively changing them into his likeness. And he wants you and me to be a part of it. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that when you save us, you also then give us a new purpose and a new calling in this life. You don't just save us so that we kind of waste away our lives here on this earth until we one day can get to heaven. You save us and you give us grace to then be used in the lives of others. God, I pray that you would give us a fresh understanding of how you want each one of us to be used in your work of building the church up to be more and more like Christ. God, I pray that if we are growing weary in trying to be a part of the church and serve the church and love others, that you would encourage us to keep going. Or God, if we are on the sidelines and you want us to get involved and serving and ministering, then I pray that you would show us how you want to use us. God, we pray that you would be at work in and among us at Keystone to make us more like Christ, to help us grow together as the church. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.